Hey everybody, today my guest is Scarlett Kennedy. Scarlett is the author of How to Psychoanalyze Someone. And I first heard about Scarlett in the comments on other interviews that I had done. People were asking if I could do an interview with her, and it was a little bit tough to figure that out because she's a mysterious character. Scarlett Kennedy's a pen name. We don't know what she looks like. I've never seen her. She'd never done a podcast before. She was strictly in writing before this. And so this is her first podcast, and the topics that she covers are actually very much in line with other people that I've interviewed. People like Dan Ariely, who wrote Predictably Irrational, Robert Greene, who wrote The Laws of Human Nature, people who want to know about why people do what they do. And that is Scarlett's gift, as she will share with us in this episode. So this is number 41 with Scarlett Kennedy. You've pointed to how we can really pick up a lot on just the words that people say. What are some things that people could pick up on being in relationships or at work right away? What are something that people could use that for right now? You could find out about what someone believes about a relationship or about work. Um, I like to use this for relationships or just getting to know somebody. For example, if I don't know. Let's just say I'm out with somebody and he starts describing relationships as tiring or even it could be as subtle as he talks about other people's relationships as tiring or too much work. Then it's kind of obvious what he might think about others. But you have to watch for patterns like he could just be saying that about someone's relationship and it's true so if you start saying about every relationship even if it seems like a good healthy relationship then you know that is what they believe about it now what you can do with that is well it's up to you you could either mirror that and build this relationship and make them think that you think the same thing and they feel this deeper bond to you or you can if you want to be like the good guy i guess mm -hmm. you could help him or her think that relationships aren't tiring or they aren't too much work and it would be worth work mm -hmm. and do you think that the words that we use like if i were to say these sorts of phrases a couple that you point to in the book were must or have that these kind of things suggest our our sense of obligation and duty do you think if you change the words that you use it could also change the way that you feel about those things yeah i feel like the words that we use um dictate how we feel about something so even when i say stuff like well today i have to clean my house it just feels so mm. daunting but if if I say I wanted to clean my house or I wanted to go out to buy ink for my printer, then it just feels more liberating. It feels like you have choices. But using the words must and have are, it just feels like you're tied down or something like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So something that you've, you've also talked about, though, is that words maybe shouldn't carry a lot of weight, that really we should be looking at people's actions. What do you think we can pick up on in people's actions? 
Well, you'd be able to know what they dislike and what they like and what they're repulsed by and things that excite them. Um, For example, I had someone who just passed away, but it was a really toxic relationship. And he, he almost, not almost, but he did remind me of, um, he reminded me of Hitler and it was just things like, for example, we would talk and um, I, we were talking about traveling and then I asked him if he's ever gone to the country where I'm from and he just gave me the most disgusted look. But his words were very kind and he said, no, I've never, I've never been there. Um, You know, stuff like that. So it was just his disgust and how he crossed his arms and his eyes squinted a little and he just turned his body away from me. And um, so it's stuff like that. But what I like to see is what they are repulsed by. There's kind of like a chord that gets hit, you know, what they're disgusted by, what they hate and what emotions come out through their actions, because there must be something there that has happened or it would trigger them. And if you do Mm. trigger them, then you could either have a lot of control over them or you could help them. It goes both ways if i suggest something to to someone and i know i can see in their face that they don't want to do it but they say okay i'll do it and then i realize like maybe they're going to do a half-hearted job of it is there a way that i can see this in them and then know how to how to work with them or kind of get them on board with something well i would just look at their body language and if you know their words aren't if their words are contradicting Mm -hmm. i would look at body language and if I know enough about them, there would obviously be some objections and I would try to work around those objections. For example, um, with the guy who I said reminded me of Hitler, he had objections to any person that wasn't a blonde or blue eyed person for some reason. but. Later on, I ended up discovering that girls of my um, ethnicity rejected him and made him feel bad. And he grew up in Austria, too, ironically. Mm-hmm. So there were only, I think, three girls that were of my ethnic origin. So that really stood out to him. And... I would reassure him that, well, I would do it indirectly because obviously you don't want to make it seem like you know everything about them or else they'd build up a wall. So indirectly, you'd have to show them that you are the opposite of the objections or whatever you want to get from them is the complete opposite of the objections. So when he got bullied by these girls, um, 
I made sure that I was extra nice to him and I complimented him. And I actually found out all these things from a colleague of his. And it just started to make sense. Now, it could have been true. It could have been false. But something clicked. So that's what I would do. Mm -hmm. And when you're wanting to make someone feel good or or being extra nice and you're probably paying compliments, how do you actually pay someone a good compliment? First of all, I would look at what people are always complimenting them about. So if someone is always calling someone good looking, then I wouldn't exactly call them good looking. I mean, maybe I would a few times if I thought they were good looking. But usually what I like to do is there's always something lacking. And I like to compliment them on what I see that they're lacking, what they would want people to notice about them. So if there's a really attractive woman and she's insecure about her intellect and you can kind of tell because she gets a little anxious when people start talking about intellectual things and you notice she overcompensates, then I would tell her that I think she's smart and appeal to that aspect. Now, if someone is good looking and they don't feel secure about their good looks, but people are always constantly telling them that they're good looking, well, I would go into specifics. Let's say that, I don't know, they think they have thin lips or something and they hate their lips, then I would they they have nice lips so you would notice that because you know their insecurities about their lips because you know usually you would notice them moving their lips a lot or staring at other people's lips or if it's a woman or well I guess it doesn't really matter anymore but um yeah like if they're wearing lipstick a lot or things like that, or they compliment other people's lips, or they say mean things about someone's lips, then you know there's something about lips there. Isn't that funny how people like the things that people talk about or the things that people criticize in others? It seems so often that's really something about themselves. What what is it that makes that so natural? I think it's because it's really difficult to accept that we have certain flaws about ourselves and Mm -hmm. it's easier to notice that about someone else and if it's really buried and repressed then they won't even realize that they are doing this or they won't even realize that they have this within themselves and that's why they dislike the other person Um, so I think it's just because it's hard to accept that we aren't a certain way or we wish we could be a certain way. So much of this, I think, comes back to the idea of of how you define psychoanalysis in your book. You said it's making the unconscious conscious. That seems to be your, your gift, is that you're picking up on things that people are dealing with, but they're not conscious of. And we have a question from one of your readers 
He wants to know how you got so good at this. He says, hey, Scarlett, I have been reading your work for a long time now. Can you write a post on how you became so good at psychoanalyzing people? That's from Lee. Uh, well, what I like to do is look at patterns and then connect the dots. So, for example, if I'm just going to use a family member as an example, just because I do like to analyze her because she's such an interesting person and we're not on good terms. So it's always good to know. So with uh, one of my family members, she tends to actually, she tends to insult me often Hmm. and she'll, you know, she'll say things about my nose and, I know they're not true, but then I'll notice that she'll look at my nose and she'll she'll touch her nose or something. There's actually something. I'm Asian, so a lot of people from Asian countries, well, specific Asian countries, don't have the typical Caucasian nose. And, well, it's because they're Asian. So she is insecure about that, clearly, because I do have um, a smaller nose. And... She, she'll say something awful about my nose, like, oh, it's, it just, it doesn't look good and all this nonsense. And then she'll start doing this nose where, this nose, sorry, this thing with her nose where she'll try to shape it with her fingers or something. And I sat down and I wanted to analyze her. So I actually took a pen and a paper and I named this one section nose and I wrote down that she does these actions with insulting my nose and then trying to shape her nose to make it look thinner. And then <clears throat> I wrote down another subsection where it said, why does she do this? Hmm. So I try to look at patterns. And then the earliest thing that I remember her telling me was that People made fun of her for her nose. So I just try to look at patterns and then connect the dots. And if you cannot um, uncover certain things about them, like, for example, you know, someone in your workplace, if you want to analyze them, they might not come to you and say, well, I remember when my mom told me that (laughs) I had such a big nose. So um, it's just try to look at their patterns of behavior and notice if there are any certain emotions around the behavior. And if you can't, honestly, if you cannot um, connect it to something, then just go with that. And if you can play around with that maybe then I would go with that also so you built your skills by doing this over and over with family was that how it started it started with family yeah I grew up in a narcissistic home so I had to please my family and then um I was always punished if I wasn't pleasing them well I was a kid so of course I didn't really know what I was supposed to do so I naturally attracted friends that were like this and 
I had to play them as well. So it just, that's how I built it up and learned all these things. But then I started taking psychology classes in college. I, I took some classes in um, psychology and even criminology and sociology. So I used all, yeah, techniques. Wow. And we talked before about this a little bit and you said there was, there was sort of a, a period of hyper awareness for you that was actually uncomfortable when you, you really started to read a room. How'd you deal with that? Well, for me, I noticed that when I had hyper awareness, it was for a few reasons. One was because I just felt like I had a lot of power just knowing all these things and being able to use it against people. And the second one was that I wanted to get something from them. And the third reason was because I felt like I didn't know enough. So I tried to actually work with all three of these reasons. So with the power thing, I just told myself that, well, I'm just, a mere mortal human being. And then I would actually tell myself that, well, you've made some mistakes when you've analyzed people and some of it wasn't true and some of it backfired on you and you don't want to deal with that. And the way that I worked with the second reason, which is wanting to get something from them, was that I would tell myself that, Unfortunately, I felt like I had to go to the extreme. So I would say something like, well, there's nothing that they could give me or I can't give them anything. Um, and the way that I worked with the third reason was that I just acted like, well, you know, I already know everything about them. Even if it wasn't true, I just felt like I had to convince myself, even if I had to constantly repeat it. Or sometimes I'd look at them like, they were my mom or my dad or, you know, an old friend from kindergarten or something. Because then most of these people, you already have detected certain patterns and you kind of already do know most things about them. So that's how I would deal with that. How, do, how does that work? If, if like I have, um, you know, a colleague or something and I, I see them in some ways being like, say, a, a parent figure is it helpful or, or how could I, how could I use this sort of frame of people that I already know to better understand that person? Well, it would help you feel more comfortable around them because oh. yeah. And you wouldn't feel like you had to put in so much effort because I realized that when I would do this kind of thing, when I would analyze people, um, I was always like, okay, well, I have to use this technique. Well, what did, what did this mean? And I would just have this constant battle in my head. And I noticed other people would as well. So it would help someone make, it would help someone feel more comfortable and they wouldn't have that battle in their head. Then they'd actually miss out on information that they need about the person. Mm-hmm. And going through all of this and this all this work and, and understanding people and and then these periods of maybe feeling uncomfortable and feeling hyper aware, what's the end goal? What is there a better place at the end? I think it depends on the person. 
Um, for me at the time, it was usually just because I wanted power over them, but on a more existential um, note, I I didn't want to be forgotten by these people because I felt like if I was giving them what they wanted and I was pleasing them and they favored me, then they couldn't forget about me. And I just mm. wanted to be remembered. So I guess it depends on, on who the person is, but a lot of people use it because they want to have better relationships or, well, they want power over a person and they can control and manipulate them, I suppose. But for me at the end of the day, I just feel like, well, there's two end goals for me. One is I want to just make people happy and make sure I fulfill their needs. And two is a more existential reason, which is I just don't want to be lost in someone's memory bank. Mm. Yeah, was that kind of the inspiration for your first book, this whole idea of, of making people obsessed with you? Yeah, it was. I mean, I never admitted it or said it because I was just in my ego, but it was, yeah. And I remember when I wrote it, I was so angry and bitter at the world. I just wanted to um, manipulate people so into making them obsessed with me. Hmm. So, yeah, that was, oh, and not wanting to be forgotten of course so mm -hmm. yeah that was yeah and then the, and then an actual book too i mean that's something that lasts it's kind of a way that people leave a legacy so it kind of works on two levels yeah so how do you think people could leverage this for things in the workplace for being influential or making sales or things like that so in the workplace i think it would make someone stand out um, for example, if you could analyze all of your coworkers, hopefully you don't have too many, but if you could analyze all of your coworkers, you could make them like you, um, and not just like you, but be their number one. And so that would be known to the boss, I guess, if you, if you become this popular person. And the boss might start paying more attention to you. Um, you can get to please your boss. Um, I actually remember one where it was an internship at the time. And I was working for a charity. And I was in the finance department. So in the finance department, I remember we were all having this meeting and I was just the new person. Like I just got there and everyone was kind of, I'm not sure how to explain this. They were kind of like bashing the boss because he was a little bit of, I don't want to say a pushover, but he was a little naive mm -hmm. and he had all these ideas for how he would persuade investors and, and companies to donate some money. And I could see that he was a little beat down because everyone was disagreeing with his ideas. And 
um, people just sort of made fun of him and he let that happen. And he had this one idea for, for financing a certain um, event that we were going to do, a gala event. And I just remember looking at him and thinking, I bet if I give him that validation that he wants to get, especially as the boss, mm-hmm. and it was a smaller charity at the time. So he was also like the CEO. And I feel like most CEOs want that validation as a CEO and mm-hmm. If you're the CEO of a smaller company and you still have to do these little meetings. So he asked me what I thought of his idea. And I knew it was an awful idea and it was a little controversial and a little shady, but I just said, Yeah, I think that's great. And I didn't say any more, I didn't say any less. And so he gave me this role where I got to manage this really big project and um and then i got hired by the company too um from from an internship yeah wow but it was after he gave me the you know after he he saw that i had the skills to do it as well so Mm -hmm. um but i feel like it was just because i gave light on that side of him that needed you know, that light, which is, he wanted that validation. Like I'm the CEO. Okay. You guys are going to give me that respect that I deserve Mm. and they're going to validate my ideas because I'm running this show. So I feel like it can work in that aspect. And with making sales, it would help you analyze your, your customers needs and, and their lacks. I just feel like lacks is such a big thing because if you're selling something and people already have it, you know, then it won't be as effective, but as effective, sorry. But if you notice that they're lacking in, I don't know, a certain department or something, and you have a competitor that appeals to their ego, but they have a lack, which is, they don't feel appreciated or loved, then I would appeal to that lack because I feel like this feeling of lack runs deeper than, you know, something like someone's ego. Yeah. Finding what people are lacking, what they, what they seem to be missing on an emotional level is a theme throughout your last book. How do you pick up on those lacks? I just usually like to notice their their micro expressions, which would be sadness or disappointment. And usually you see that they put their head down or they just have very sad body language or they react in a sad way. Um, I'm going to use that, that family member as an example. She is... Um, in her early 40s and she obviously had a plan where she would you know have certain things by her age and she would have a specific career and for some odd reason she tends to pick on me and I'm 
20 years younger than her. I'm in my early 20s. So I noticed that when I talk about certain achievements that I made, you know, financially or or uh, career-wise, she she tends to look very sad. Or sometimes someone might overcompensate and say things like, oh, well, you know, that person down the street wants to be my friend or something. That's something I always hear, overcompensating, mm. especially in lack. So it's usually how they react to things. But if they react overcompensating, then then I know that they're lacking something. Especially if I bring up a certain topic. Like if I bring up um, my love life and... Well, I mean, if I had a love life, sorry. Um, I would start, you know, just start talking about my love life. And and um, if someone says, oh, yeah, well all these guys like me, all these girls like me, then I know they're overcompensating in their love life. I mean, not overcompensating, sorry. They're lacking in their love life. Um, But it's usually overcompensation if they look sad about something or if they react in uh, a disappointed way. Sometimes they won't even say anything because they won't even know what to add because they feel that lack so strongly and then they might just change the topic. Mm-hmm. So you have these skills that are very fine-tuned in picking up on people, little things like micro-expressions, choice of language. How can people build these skills in an era where so much communication is happening digitally now? Are the places people should go, coffee shops, people watching? What do you suggest? I suggest, actually, I suggest all those things like people watching and sometimes I like to go to coffee shops and I like to listen to people. I mean, sometimes I don't do it intentionally, but that, that goes with the hyper awareness. Mm. So I actually did also start by, um, I would sign up for dating sites Mm -hmm. and I would just start talking to people and, I just watch what they'd say because I also wanted to branch out digitally. So I wanted to see if it could apply um, in the digital world. So, How does that go? How does it apply? Oh, well, usually um, in the dating online world, people like to have these personas. So... For example, let's say someone wants to come off as, hmm, let me think of a typical one. Well, I don't know. Let's say someone wants to come off as a, someone who likes to, someone who has dated a lot of women or men. And um, I would just start talking to them and then I'd watch for certain jokes that they made or I just start listening or watching them saying that oh yeah well all these girls like me and I like to see why they would want to be perceived that way like why would you want to be perceived as a ladies man or or why do you want to be perceived as someone who's extremely misunderstood 
And I feel like that helps me really understand who they are. Why, why would someone want to be perceived as misunderstood? It, it's, it seems counterintuitive. I've met a lot of people who wanted to be perceived that way. And usually it's because they want to appear as different, even though they complain about, well, nobody understands me. Um, yeah, they just want to appear as they're so different and they're so complex and they're so unique. But really, I mean, I've heard a million other people say the same thing. I mean, I used to do that too. So I, I know mm. why a lot of these people want to be perceived as misunderstood. And, um, and I also feel it's a defense mechanism too, because they don't have to let anyone in if they make it seem like, well, you won't understand me or I'm so misunderstood. You'll, you won't understand me either. Yeah. I could see now that you say it like that. There's being misunderstood is a way of feeling separate, feeling unique that people want to feel special. I was Mm -hmm. just, just reading a memoir by a guy who, um, he was an alcoholic and he said that when he went into rehab and sat down with the counselor, they said, you are terminally unique. You think you're different, but you keep getting DUIs. Eventually, you're going to get yourself killed. You are just like all the other alcoholics here. You need to go through this treatment program. And he said that was a, a big turning point for him. And he recognized that that was something that he really dealt with. But it had always been his way of feeling like he was special or he could handle things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I can relate to that. I mean, not the alcoholic part, but the, the psychological aspect. Mm-hmm. So it seems a lot of your work is in line with uh, The Art of Seduction by Robert Greene. How did that book influence your ideas? I, I remember the first day I actually found the book. Um, I was in a bookstore and I was looking for books on how to analyze people because I remember just being so sick and tired of being confused by people's motivations and at the time I was addicted to finding, you know, like a partner and I just couldn't understand. Well, at the time I felt like I couldn't understand men. Mm. So really frustrated by that. And then I was frustrated by the people around me because everyone just seemed so complicated. So I found the book and I read the back cover and everything just, just reading that part just made a lot of sense to me. So I read it and it was all good, but I was really confused about a lot of parts about it. And I went on farms and I noticed other people were as well. So I decided to take it upon to go out and test certain things. Um, Cause I speculated certain solutions and I would try it and then I would write about it and then I would write a blog about it and then I, that was my original intention just to blog about mistakes and things that worked out well for certain types of people and how I discovered information about them. And how did you come up with, with your name when (laughs) when you started blogging? Was it, was that all at the same time? How did that come about? Well, I was testing out different names And I didn't know which one would catch people's attention. So I thought about the people who would buy my book. 
And for some odd reason, I thought about Craigslist when people could actually go on and, you know, do whatever they did. So I put out some titles as ads and, um, the first one was, I, I don't even remember the name anymore, but it was like a very generic name. Mm-hmm. And then I put the title for the first book that I wrote, the one about obsession. And I got so many replies. Of course, I didn't reply to them because that wasn't my attention. But I did the same thing for um, how to psychoanalyze somebody. And I also Googled if people were searching up this term and Mm. I noticed it on a bunch of YouTube videos and the search results were much more than other book titles that I had thought of originally. So I wanted to use, I wanted the titles to be a question to get people thinking instead of, something else and so the the picking of the name was it just random or did did the do the words mean something to you scarlett kennedy i mean we haven't actually talked about this but i'm assuming that's not your real name oh no it's not my real name um okay so originally i wanted to be i wanted it to be initials and then kennedy um it would be well, originally, I thought of M.C. Kennedy, and then I'll tell you how I, I got those. But um, it would have been the most two powerful, influential people you would have thought of in history when you thought of charisma or influence. So Marilyn Monroe and Cleopatra. Ah. Yeah, then Kennedy was... Um, a man's last name who you would have thought of. So the first person I think of is JFK. Mm-hmm. And I actually went on Google and typed in charisma and he was one of the, the few people who popped up. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I don't know. I think someone said to me, that sounds really corny. I mean, it sounded interesting, but, and they liked it, but, it just sounded very, um, I don't know, just it didn't give off that charisma vibe, I guess, that I wanted it to have. So um, I was looking for names, well, first names, because I still liked Kennedy, but I was looking for first names that sounded, you know, powerful or maybe even erotic in a lot of ways, but not too erotic where it's, it loses its effect. So I found Scarlet and I, I liked the, the sound of it. So I went with Scarlet Kennedy. Wow. So it's not, not your real name. Why'd you decide to have a pen name and not just be yourself? Um, I was always an awkward person. Uh, I never really liked, hmm. I don't know. I never really liked attention and I didn't even know if anyone would pay attention to this, but I thought that. Wait, wait a minute. I got to call a timeout. You, you're, you write all about getting people's attention. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like I wanted, I wanted to have this 
this air of mystery, but I also mm. didn't want people to know what I look like. Um, and I was always so, um, I always felt so insecure about my looks. I mean, not anymore, but before when I started out. And um, my original plan was actually to, uh, you know, pursue a job in finance. And I thought that, well, if they found this and I was writing about this, maybe I wouldn't get a job mm. in finance. So, oh, and also because I didn't want my family to find out because I live with, you know, my family. Uh, well, I don't live with them. Sorry. My family, um, they're narcissists. And I have this one aunt who is just always, she just seems to always want to do something awful against me. So... I didn't want her to find out because I felt like if she read that stuff, some of the stuff was actually about her, um, the character Mary. Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't want her to find that out either. So I just liked having that, um, that air of mystery and being anonymous. Cause I also felt like I could say whatever I wanted to without people finding my LinkedIn profile or people knowing where I was or, you know, things like that. So. Mm -hmm. Well, if people want to know more about Scarlett Kennedy, where should they look for you online? Um, just my blog. I'm, I'm not as active on any social media sites anymore, but I'm usually most active on my blogs and that's where I like to get personal. So my blogs would be the best. Okay. We'll put a link to that down into the description. Okay. And Scarlett, my final question is, what do you think a leader can do to create a group culture that has more of a sense of social fulfillment where people are really feeling like they understand each other? A leader would have to put the information out there and try to come in with an open mind themselves and not be extremely aggressive because I'm... I know that there are a lot of leaders who are very aggressive and they like to impose their opinions. So I think that <clears throat> if they wanted to create a group of people who were more socially fulfilled, they would have to be someone who is open-minded and put out information about how to understand people more and um, understand themselves as well. Because I just feel like if you can't understand yourself, then you won't be able to look for that in other people. You won't be able to want to understand people either. Totally. Cool. Scarlett, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It was an honor.